Amen. All right. Hey, if we haven't met before, uh, as our uh, ushers uh, bring by the baskets, my name is Benjer. I'm one of the pastors here at Flourishing Grace, and I'm glad you're here because it is a really cool weekend. Um, it, it's our birthday, and, and we love birthdays. And I don't know about you, but kind of how this feels for me um, is I've got three kids in elementary school. When, when you go to elementary school, it's always really fun when somebody has a birthday, not because you really care about that person so much, but because there's always a treat or donuts or something, which is, which is fun. So this kind of feels like elementary school to me. Uh, in fact, this weekend is really special for our family as well. Uh, this is birthday weekend for our family. Our oldest daughter, Bethany, turned 11 on Thursday. Uh, yesterday was her birthday party. Just, you know, a lot of 10, 11-year-olds running around. It's a ton of fun. Uh, in fact, my mom came out for the weekend. Hi, mom. Everybody say hi, mom. Oh, she loves it when I do that. I can't believe she's sitting through this again. Uh, birthdays are, are really fun. And one thing we love to do um, in, in our family, and if I'm perfectly honest, we always forget until like one or two weeks later, but we've got this like measuring chart upstairs uh, near our bedrooms, and, uh, and, and we measure our kids every single year, how tall they've gotten. And it's fun because they love to go through there and, and see how tall they are. And I was taller than you at 10 years old, and you are at eight, and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and I think we love doing that, because we're supposed to grow. We take delight when our kids grow. And not just take delight when they grow physically, but when they grow as people. One of the things I've loved as a dad is just seeing my kids grow. And if, if I'm honest, there's many times where they grow in such a way where I'm like, man, you did not get that from your dad. Because that is amazing, and I'm proud of you. It's just incredible. Uh, in fact, um, one of the things that I'm loving about this milestone of, of about 11 years old, a couple of weeks ago, um, I was bringing uh, our youngest two daughters home from dance, and Jennifer was, was going to be somewhere, and so we were kind of crossing paths, and, and I had to get dinner on the table, and I come home, and, and, and our 11-year-old, now 11-year-old, is actually prepping dinner as I'm walking through the door. And I'm like, how did we get to this point? I don't know, but this is incredible. It is fun to see our kids grow because... Things are supposed to grow. Healthy kids grow. Jennifer and I have good friends um, who have actually been dear friends of me since uh, we were roommates in, in college. Uh, their oldest daughter, through the years, as they've kind of tracked this, they've got four kids. Their oldest daughter, uh, a number of years ago, they discovered was not growing the way that she was supposed to be growing. And as they did the charts, and as you know, you go to the pediatrician, and they say, well, this is how much they've grown in this year and, and all that. It just wasn't happening the way that it was supposed to be happening. Because healthy kids are supposed to grow, healthy people are supposed to grow, and because growth was not happening the way it was supposed to, it set off alarm bells for the parents, and it set off alarm bells for the doctors, and they started kind of trying to figure out what was going on, and eventually found a, a genetic disorder um, that, that actually will probably shorten her life, and, and weakening tissues in her organs, and in her muscles, and in her bones. And the way they discovered it is healthy things are supposed to grow, and this kid just wasn't growing the way that she was supposed to be growing. Um, today, we're actually going to talk a little bit about this idea that healthy things, healthy people are supposed to grow. Um, we've been in this series um, that we call the Church of Jesus Christ, and, and we've been in here. This is the third week. We're going to be a few more weeks after. And, and if you've missed the first couple of weeks, Pastor Josh preached the, the first couple of weeks. If you've missed the first couple of weeks, um, or this is your first time here, do me a favor uh, and do yourself a favor. Go back and go on our website where you can find a link to listen or just search for us on podcasts. 
podcasts, uh, Flourishing Grace Church, and listen to the last two messages because we've been walking through questions uh, about what it means to be the church. I mean, who is the church? The first week, we looked at this idea that the church is not a piece of real estate. It's not an address. It's not something that happens for an hour on Sunday morning. The church was birthed um, through the good news that Jesus died for you and me on the cross. That's the good news, another word for the gospel. That is what birthed the church because the church is just a collective group of followers of Jesus, and, and that's all it really is. And then last week, we, we looked at this idea, what does it mean to be part of the church? And I think there's a lot of misconceptions for us. What, what does it mean to, to connect to a local church, a local gathering of followers of Jesus? And, and we kind of launched this last week, but if you've got questions about the church, if, if you've been kind of wrestling through this idea, or I was raised with this idea, and I'm not sure if it's right, or, or I've got these other questions, um, you can actually text in your questions today. We're going to address them next week, but if you would do us a favor and text in your questions, I think we'll have a slide up here, um, type ask. F at GC and your question to 97,000, 97,000 on your phone. You can do that right now. Um, I won't even know that you're checking Facebook because I'll assume that you're just texting in your awesome questions. Um, please do that. And, and over the week, we'll look at that and we're going to um, select a few of those to address next week. Today, what we're going to be talking about is this idea of what it means to grow as a follower of Jesus, but not just you and me individually as a follower of Jesus, but what does it mean to, to grow as the church, as a collective group of followers of Jesus? And if you're here today, and, and maybe this idea of the church, or maybe you didn't grow up in church, or, or at some point in time you said, you know, this isn't for me, and you walked away, but, but you're here this morning because somebody invited you, or, or there's a cute girl here, or whatever it is, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I've got great news for you today, okay? You're off the hook. This, today, it, it, just, it just isn't for you. What, what we're going to read today through a couple of letters is really addressed to followers of Jesus. And so if you're here, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're worried, man, this preacher is going to get up here and tell me how I need to grow, how I need to do these things. Listen, you're off the hook. You don't have to listen to me. Good news. However, I would invite you to listen in. Right, for a couple of reasons. First of all, what we're going to talk about today, it's really good for everybody. It's addressed to followers of Jesus, and it's mandatory for followers of Jesus, but, but really, it's good for everybody. And the second reason is, if you're not a follower of Jesus, chances are um, you know a, a follower of Jesus or a super religious person that drives you nuts. So maybe it's your sister-in-law at family gatherings, and they're always talking about this stuff, and why don't you go to church, and why don't you do these things? And you say, well, listen, you say these things, but I look at your life, and I look at what you post on Facebook, and how you hate this person. Like, I just don't see the connection there, and that really annoys you. If you listen today and you take some notes, uh, next time that happens at your family gathering, you're going to, you know, hear your sister-in-law, and you're going to say, actually, I heard a sermon on this once, and I took some notes. In fact, here's some scriptures that can kind of go along with it. It'll, it, it. it'll drive her so crazy and blow her away that she won't even be able to say a word for once, and so you're going to love it, okay? So I want you to listen in, even if you're not a follower of Jesus. But again, if you are a follower of Jesus, this, what we're going to talk about today is not optional. Not optional. Now, just in case um, you love those donuts and you have to go track one down or you need to refill your cup of coffee or, or we lose you at some point in time, I want to tell you where we're going to land today, all right? This is really important because I think there's a huge misconception over what it means to, follow, to, to grow as followers of Jesus. And so let me tell you where we're going to land today as we go through this, all right? Here's where we're going to land. The same grace that saves us is the same grace that grows us. Right? In other words, for those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus, we have this idea of grace, that this favor from God, that this love from God, that what Jesus did for you and me on the cross, it's a gift. That's, it's, that word gift is closely related to grace. It's something that we receive, something that's given to us, not something that we earn on our own. 
But if, if we're honest, as followers of Jesus, we, we kind of apply that grace to our forgiveness or salvation or whatever you want to call it, whatever word that makes sense in your life. We, we say, yes, Jesus saved me from our, my sins. He forgave me my sins because of what he did on the cross. But we forget that God's grace is actually applied to the rest of our life. We think, well, you know, God saved me. Jesus died for me on the cross. But from this point on, it's up to me. And that's just not true. And we're going we're gonna to see that a little bit today. That the same grace that saves us is the same grace that grows us. We're going to be in two letters. The first one, we're going to look at a section that's uh, a couple of paragraphs long. And then we're going to look at just a short passage from Paul uh, in his letter to the Romans. That's actually just a verse right there. All of our verses, since we're jumping around, are going to be up here on the screen. But if you want to follow along in 2 Peter, it's near the end of your Bible. We're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Um, if you have a Bible, feel free to open it. If you don't have a Bible, you forgot yours, uh, maybe you don't have one at home. There's one underneath your seat. There's a blue Bible. We want you to take that, open it up. We're going to be on page 1,120. If you don't have a Bible, you need one, you lost yours, whatever it might be, please take a pen, put your name in that Bible. We want those to walk out the door. We want these to be our gift to you. But we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And what we're going to read here is we're going to see Peter talking about what it means to grow as followers of Jesus. He's, he's writing this letter. Uh, he's going to cover a few things uh, about really um, how we're supposed to grow, and then he's going to talk about how we know Jesus. But he begins this first chapter by talking about you know, what does it mean to grow as followers of Jesus? And as we read, as we start in, in verse 3, we're going to see that it's probably a little different than you and I often imagine the way God works in our life. So we're going to start... Verse 1, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power, meaning Jesus' power in, in God, what God has done through us in Jesus, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, in these first couple of verses, as Peter is about to tell us what it means to grow as followers of Jesus, what that looks like, what, what, what God's grace should be doing in our lives, now that he has saved us, now that we've been cleansed of our sins, Peter almost kind of pauses here for a second. He says, before I, before I dive in, if I start with what we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus, he says, the people that are going to be reading this, the people I'm writing to, are going to misunderstand me, right? So he says, I need to go back and I need to remind them something very, very important, that the reason that we can grow at all is because what Jesus has done in our lives. Now you look at, at how we start. His divine power has granted to us all things. The beginning of this whole section, it's really about what God has done in our lives. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's not just what saves us. It's not just what gives us life, but it's also how it changes, how, we, how, how, how our lives can be changed through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. 
What Peter is doing is he's giving us a vision. He's reminding us that what Jesus did for us has given us the access to these incredible promises of God. One of my favorites is from Romans chapter 8, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These promises that when things are difficult, we remember who holds our lives in his hands. What Jesus has done for you and me. Peter says you've got to remember that. And then he goes on, and he says, So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And he's not saying, listen, you can become divine, or somehow that, that, that we can become divine, but it's this idea that we are in Christ, and we have a relationship with Christ, that we are partakers of him. Josh, uh, who preached last week, gave us an incredible picture of this when we were walking through a letter of Paul. This idea that we are all part of Christ's body. That, that some of us are hands, some of us are feet, some of us are nose. You know, some of us get to be toenails. Too bad for us. But, but all of us have a part in this, right? And all of us are significant. Because at the head of that body, we are not significant in ourselves, but at the head of that body is Jesus himself. We are partakers of Jesus. We are in Christ if we have handed our lives over to Jesus. In other words, Peter says, don't forget, as we start this discussion, don't forget where this power comes from. Don't forget where this grace comes from. And we see that in the beginning of verse 5. For this very reason, I'm going to stop right there. This is an incredibly important phrase. In fact, I want you to say it too, all right? After me, say, for this very reason. All right, one more time. For this very reason. Right. For what reason? What Peter has just talked about. Because of what God has done in your life and in mine, not because of anything I have done, or not because of anything I I am on my own, because of what God has done in my life, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. In other words, Peter gives us seven things that are to accompany faith. And this idea of supplementing our faith, it's not something that we do to earn faith or that, that we do on our own. It's this idea that it could also be translated as furnished. We're supposed to furnish our faith. The fact that we have a relationship with Jesus should come along with some expected things. When you come into my house, there's some things that in our culture you would expect in a house. You walk through our, our door and you see our living room, and yeah, there's a couch there, and there's the kitchen, and there's a stove and a fridge, and you upstairs, there's expected to be bedrooms with beds and other kinds of furniture. All of us are different, right? But, but in general, there's supposed to be things that come along with a home. In the same way, if we have a relationship with Jesus, Peter says, there's things that are expected to come along with that. That if Jesus truly truly has made a difference in our lives, we are going to see it. Now, I want to make this very clear. Remember where Peter started. It is so important to keep that in mind because if we start with this list, we might think, well, I have to do these things in order to be in Christ. But that's not true. It's because we are in Christ, it's because of what Jesus has done for us that we are able to do these things. And it's not even just because of who we are and then we can kind of take it from there. Some of us have this this idea, and and it's false, that that God has saved us, but we kind of take it from there. Thanks, God. I've got it. I can take it from here. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not something, the, the good news that saves us at the moment when we put our trust in Jesus and we're cleansed from our sins, but then it's up to us and up to our power from there on out to kind of complete it. No, it is for this very reason that we make every effort because of what God has already done 
in our lives. And if Jesus is truly part of our lives, if Jesus is truly our Lord, then we're going to see evidence of that as we walk along. And here's what Peter means by that. And when we we go to um, verse 8, he says, for if these qualities, right, these qualities are incredible. These qualities you just talked about could be a sermon in its own right. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. In other words, especially in verse 8, what, what, what Peter says, for if these qualities are yours and are in, and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we dig into this, what we'll find is, is, is this actually turns on its head, this idea that, that often, and I don't know if it's a Western culture thing, I don't know if it's an American church kind of thing, but there's this idea that sometimes we buy into that the way that we grow in our relationship with Jesus is just more information. I need to take another class, I need to hear another sermon, I need to go to another conference, I need to read another book, and, and if I'm doing this, if there's a lot of information coming in here, then I'm going to grow, right? And the, the more you know, the more mature you are. Now listen very carefully, it is important to be engaged in studying your Bible. It is important to be engaged in taking part in, in studying theology and digging in, and, and who are these followers of Jesus from 1,500 years ago and 500 years ago that wrote down these incredible things. That is important, But it is not true that the more you know, the more mature you are. That is just not true. If we take seriously what Peter says here, true maturity is not in what you know. It is if these qualities are yours or are increasing in your life. I've known some very smart people who don't seem to be following Jesus at all. They they seem to know all the answers, but you look at their life and you say, "I I just don't see it making a difference. And at the same level, I've known people who, who, who maybe they don't love this learning thing, that maybe they, 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 they've graduated from high school, that's all they really wanted to do, and they've got a good job, but they're just not interested in reading and, and, and all this other stuff. They're not listening to all these podcasts, but you see their life, and man, you are mature because, because you are growing in these things. Peter said that these qualities are yours or are increasing. And that word increasing is really, really important. Um, when I was in college, I, I played soccer. Uh, I was a goalkeeper. It was a really small school, um, and it was the smallest, the, the lowest division possible in, in NCAA sports. On top of that, I never started a single game my entire career. Right? I guess under, you know, goalkeepers who are under six feet tall just are, are, are not very desirable in college. I don't know what it is, but I did make the team. And that first year, my freshman year, I didn't even suit up. I wasn't even a backup. I was like the backup to the backup to the backup um, who was around apparently just to collect all the soccer balls at the end of practice. But I really wanted to play. I really wanted to play. So that spring, during spring practice after the, the first season, and, and during that summer, I worked really hard. I attended all the practices. I trained. I had, I had a job in the summer, but I, every day after work, just about, I trained. I ran. I, I got stronger. And that fall, when I came into training camp, one of my coaches pulled me aside, and, and he said, Benny, that's what they called me, Benny. He said, hey, Benny, I notice you've improved a ton. And that was a compliment. It wasn't a compliment because he said, hey, Benny, you're now the best goalkeeper on the team, which I wasn't. Never started a single game. He didn't say, hey, Benny, you're the, the best goalkeeper I've ever seen. That's how I know you're doing a great job. No, he said, hey, Benny, I notice how much you've improved. I notice how hard you've been working. Some of us are really discouraged 
Because we look at our lives, and, 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 and we're, 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 we want God to change our lives. We see what's going on, but, but if we look at it, we're a mess. And then we look at somebody else's life, which, by the way, when we look at somebody else's life, let me give you a little secret. It's a highlight, highlight reel because none of us put our crud on Facebook, all right? All of us put our highlights, right? As a dad, whenever I snap a picture and put it on uh, Instagram, I did it yesterday when, when my daughter and I went out for a date, I put those pictures on Instagram. I don't put those pictures of 8, 10 a.m. when I'm trying to get my kids out the door and they have no idea where their snow gear stuff is, or they have no idea where their boots are, and, and I'm losing my ever-loving mind. I don't put that on Facebook, all right? So when you look at my Instagram, I'm not as good of a dad as I say I am. And some of you are discouraged because you look at everybody else's highlight reel and you say, man, I've just got so far to go, I, I, I can't even make it. But if you can look back and you say, man, in the last year, what God has done in my life, yes, some things are still a mess, but God is growing me in these areas. Be encouraged. At the same time, I've known people, maybe people who grew up in church and they've known all the answers and maybe they, they give and they, they sit down and they play the part and, and things are going on, but they haven't grown in years. Peter says that these qualities are yours and increasing. The goal is to continue to grow. And he says that it keeps you from being unfruitful or ineffective. He brings this idea of, of like a tree where, where trees are supposed to grow and they're supposed to give fruit. You know if an apple tree is doing what it's supposed to be doing if at least every other year you get apples out of it. And he says if these qualities are yours or increasing, that's what's going to keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. And then in verse 9, he says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. The idea he gives is this. If somebody is lacking in these qualities, they are so nearsighted, all they can see is right in front of them. And I think Peter is, is meaning to, to hearken back to this idea of, of talking about God's precious and very great promises he gives us. Because to trust in God's promises, you've got to have vision. To trust in God's promises, sometimes you've got to look past the crud that's going on around you, and you've got to see God's promises and say, yes, Jesus died for me. Yes, I, I can trust in God's promise that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, even when everything around me is falling apart. But if we're lacking in these qualities, we're only seeing what's in front of us. Now, here's the connection that Peter is making. And I, I've seen this many, many times. That if we are not interested in yielding to God and his grace to change us in people, right, as people, if we are not interested in growing in these qualities, if we're not interested in saying, God's grace saved me and I also want it to change me and I want to yield to God and I want to be transformed even when it's difficult, chances are we've forgotten about God's promises. We say, I just don't feel God. Why don't I feel God? Or, or you know, why don't I remember, you know, I, I've, I was baptized or, or I, was, uh, I, I gave my life to Christ and that felt really good, but I just don't feel that now, right? Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about when we go through a tragedy, when we lose a spouse or we lose a son or a daughter or, or we lose our job and we don't know how we're going to pay the bills and we're wrestling with God and trying to figure out, man, God, where are you and all that? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if year after year the same attitude is the same, I just don't know where God is, Peter makes a connection between refusing to grow as followers of Jesus and not being able to see who God is. Again, we have to be very careful. It doesn't go backwards. It doesn't start with these qualities and we have to do these things. What Peter is saying is that if we have put our hope and trust in Jesus and we are yielding to God's grace, this is one of the ways that we know God is working in our life. It's not how we get God to work in our life. It's just one of the ways we know 
God is working in our life. Does that make sense? Super important. And then he goes on. Verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter says, listen, you are called. God is the one that calls us to himself. It's not something that, that we do. God is the one that rescues us. Peter says, be diligent, be eager to confirm that in your life. And he says, if we do that, we will never fall. Now, he's not talking about a bad day. He's not talking about stumbling, about the two steps forward and one step back. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's talking about a total and final destructive fall. We will, we will always be safe. If we, if we do these things, we will always confirm that we know we are safe in the arms of God. Right? And he says, it matters how we finish. It matters when we get to the end of our life and when we are ushered into God's kingdom. It matters how we finish. Peter is very clear here. The way to know God, the way to be confident that we are His, is to yield to His grace daily. It's not just that we yielded to His grace one time a long time ago, when I was eight at camp, or when I was a teenager, or, or, or when I was in college and I raised my hand. We are confident that God is in our life and that we are His because day by day we yield to His grace because we can't do it. And remember where we started. Same grace that saves us is the same grace that grows us. That's why Peter talks about this in the order. As human beings, we like to start at the end. Peter, tell me what I need to do to get God to do, to do in my life what I want him to do. Peter, tell me what I need to do to be confident that God likes me or that God loves me. And Peter says, no, that's not the way it works at all. Go back to the beginning. Read it again. Because of what God did in your life, be eager to do these things. I mean, to us, I don't know why we always get, to, always get this backwards. I mean, if, I, if my kid came to me and said, Dad, I love the fact that you're my dad and I always want to be your daughter. If one of them came to me and said, so tell me what I need to do so that you'll keep being my dad, man, I'd be heartbroken because I got it all wrong. It's not how it works. I want my kids to grow as McVeigh's. We have this saying that the, 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 what's the McVeigh way? Others first. And I want them to grow in these kinds of things because they are McVeigh's, because they're my kids, because they belong to our family. But they already are a part of my family. They already are my daughters. They're not earning anything. They're not keeping their spot. We just want them to live into what it means to be part of our family. And it's the same way in a relationship with God. You're not earning anything. So if you have a bad day, God's going to kick you out. But we're to live in, because of God's grace who saved us, and because of God's grace who grows us, we are to live into who God has created to be and who he has called us to be. Now, here's the thing. It's great to talk about it like this. It's great in theory. Yeah, it makes sense. But how does this practically work? Well, the second passage we're going to look at, which is really just a, a verse um, from one of Paul's letters, uh, his letter to the Romans, is, is really a little bit of a clue into how God has provided the scaffolding in order to help us to grow. 
We're going to be in um, Romans chapter 15, verse 14. It'll be up here on the screen for you if you just want to look up there. But in Paul's letter to the Romans, he's been writing to this church in Rome, and he's, he's given one of the most complex and incredibly brilliant theological treatises on how God saves us, how it is because of his grace, because he, have, he has called us out of darkness, because he rescued us from death. It is an incredibly dense and, in, and just an amazing book. And as he wraps up this letter... As he's, as he's finishing it up, he says, I mean, we've talked a lot about, about a lot of things. He says this in chapter 15, verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you, are, you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. In other words, he says, listen, I know that you are followers of Jesus. Right? And he doesn't say that you know everything, but also that you're filled with all goodness. In other words, I'm confident in what God is doing in your life. And I'm confident that you can instruct one another. Now, this word instruct, sometimes we get mixed up. We think of instruct, and in our culture, we might think of somebody on a stage like this with a microphone like this, or maybe in a college classroom where there's a professor who knows all the answers, and and the job is just to give all the information. That's not what this word is getting at, right? The the meaning of this word instruct is actually closer to correct, right? Or, Or I like to think of that in terms of coaching, I'm a softball coach. I coach our middle child, Sammy's uh, softball team. And when, when, when I coach softball, when we're working on batting during a practice, I don't call them all together and have them sit down on the bench or sit down on the grass and say, all right, I'm going to talk to you about batting for an hour and give them a lecture about batting for an hour. It just doesn't work, right? If you've ever talked, it just doesn't work. Instead, we talk about a few things, and, and they get on the tee, and they bat on the tee. And I say, okay, you got to do this with your stance, and maybe put your hands back, and listen, your shoulders got to be this way, and put your chin down. I correct them, little by little. This is what it means, Paul says, to be part of the body of Christ. And if we're honest, this is the part we don't like. Because it's one thing to sit in rows like this and hear a sermon and say, mm, right? I mean, that's, that's usually as a church the most excited we get. I mean, I think we need to be a little bit more lively sometimes. If, mm, that's good, and, and write down some notes, and I like it. But it's safe to sit in rows. It's safe to sit in rows and be able to walk out the door. You can be like, boy, you almost got me, right? But when we open ourselves to other people and we say, would you instruct me? a level of vulnerability that we're not really sure we're good with. But if we take what Peter says and what Paul says here seriously, God has given us everything we need to grow. He's given us his grace because the same grace that saves us is the same grace that grows us. And he's given us one another. What, Peter, what Paul here doesn't say, he doesn't say, I'm confident that you're going to be okay because I'm going to record all of my sermons and send them to you and just listen to them every single week for the rest of your life. He doesn't say, I'm going to write you 18 more letters so you know what to do. No, he says, you already have everything you need. You have each other because you love Jesus and you love each other. This is how God intends for us to grow, not just as individuals, but as a collective group of followers of Jesus. But it's hard, right? Um, A little bit over a year ago, Jennifer and I went to a marriage retreat for uh, people who serve in ministry. It was a week long. It was kind of intense. We took all these assessments ahead of time, just kind of laying out, this is what's going on in our life. This is what we would like to talk about. And we were assigned mentors who we got to know really well during that week, in fact, that we're still connected with. 
And over the course of the week that we got to know our mentors and they listened to our life and they thought through some things, there came a time when, when, when they said to me, and we're, we're seated together, they came a time when they said, Benjer, if I'm just perfectly honest, here's an area that you need to grow as a person, as a follower of Jesus, and as a spouse. Nobody wants to hear that. I mean, let's be honest. If any of us have been to marriage counseling, we're secretly hoping that the counselor says it's all of our spouse's fault, right? I mean, there's that part of us in there. And don't pretend like you haven't ever done something like that where you're hoping that somebody will take somebody else's side because you're like, well, the reason I'm not growing is them. It's not me. But I have learned in my life, and perhaps because I'm so resistant to this, that I will not grow if I don't have people in my life who are willing to say that and who have the freedom to say that. And that was a marriage retreat once, but I've got a couple of guys in my life who have the freedom to know what's going on in my life, who sit around the dinner table with me and Jennifer, who ask questions about our hearts and about what it means to be parents and what it means to be uh, married to one another. And they have every freedom to speak into my life and say, Benjamin, here's what I see. It's not going well, and I think you need to change. That's scary, right? I mean, to give somebody the freedom, I mean, that requires vulnerability. That requires stopping this mask, putting down this mask. And it requires just admitting that we don't have it all together. Friends, this is the way that God has given us to grow. And this is what it means to be part of a local church. Listen, I've got to be honest, if you just come in on Sundays and, 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 and you're just in rows, you're not getting the whole deal. And if you're here checking it out because you're not sure about Jesus or, or you're not really sure this is the place, I get that. For a time, that's okay. But if you sit in these rows for months and then years and you never engage with somebody, if there's not a single person in this church who can look at you and say, hey, Benjer, I see this going on in your life and I, I just got to tell you, this is, this is not okay and I need to instruct you in this way. Now, here's the hard part. What are you going to do to change this? Because let's be honest, it's January 27th, and 90% of all, we heard from Jake a couple of weeks ago, 90% of all of your goals for the new year, all, all of your resolutions are out the window. And if I had to guess why, chances are it's because you didn't tell a single soul about them. And you never asked somebody into your life and say, hey, would you help me with this? So here's what I want you guys to do. Here's where it gets practical. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you're part of this church, but you've never been part of a small group, that is an easy first step. Right? Because to be part of just rows, this is, this is not being part of our church, if we're just perfectly honest. If you come and you sit in rows and you leave, listen, we're glad you're here, but it's not what it means to be part of a local church. And so your next step is to, to get in a small group. We had a small group connect a couple of weeks ago, and if you're like, well, I escaped that, right? I, I made sure my spouse wasn't here during that week so they wouldn't make me get in a small group. Listen, you can still get involved. You go on our website, you go, to, you go to Engage, and you can figure out how to sign up for our small groups that we have online there and how to get connected with a group. But if you've already done that, because over 100 of our people in this, in this church are, are part of a small group, if you've already done that, let me tell you this. You're not done. Because small groups are great, but if you're like my small group, you know, there's 8, 10, 12 people that you get together with every single week, and it's hard to really attain a complete level of vulnerability there. And honestly, sometimes it's hard to attain a complete level of vulnerability when your spouse is sitting right next to you, okay? So what your next step is, is to find those two or three people. Maybe it's a mentor. Maybe it's somebody that you work with that you know is a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's somebody here 
that you will invite into your life and say, listen, I need somebody to instruct me. I need to be vulnerable and, and, and just have somebody look at me and see where do I need to grow? I mean, we do this in other areas of our life, don't we? I mean, this isn't a spiritual thing. It's a thing thing. I mean, even as, as a preacher, uh, I've had preaching coaches and I've had people listen and watch my sermons and make fun of me while I'm preaching in order to make me better, right? If you're, if you're an athlete, you get a coach or you're never going to get any better. For us to grow, one of the ways God has grown us is, is to have people in our lives who have access to what's really going on who are able to instruct us. And if you look back a year or two ago and you're not growing as a follower of Jesus, and you can't say, by God's grace, here's areas where I'm different, where I'm more generous, where I'm more loving, where I'm more patient, chances are you don't have those people in your life. Now, if you're here, you're not a follower of Jesus. I told you you could take the Sunday off, okay, but just tune back in. Because when I was in college, when I was starting out on this journey to, to, to follow Jesus, um, it wasn't because all of a sudden I decided that, that, that I wanted to follow Jesus or somebody said something. I had looked around at my life, and my life was a mess, if I'm honest. But I knew a friend whose life was not a mess, and, and he went to church, and, and he was a follower of Jesus. I didn't know what that meant, but I thought, well, that seems like a good place to start. Well, maybe you look around at the beginning of this year, and maybe it's through some resolutions you've made, or maybe failing on those resolutions, or maybe you've just come to an awareness where you look around your life, and you don't like what you see. Might you consider Jesus? And not because Jesus' whole goal is to make your life better and to make you better at life, but because the only answer to what we see around us, the only answer when we say, man, I need to grow, and I'm not sure how to do that, is yielding our lives to God's grace and what he wants to do in our life. And Jesus climbed on a cross and died for you so that you could be forgiven. And he died on a cross for you so that you could be a different person by God's grace two years from now than you are today. Those go together. We have this saying where God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. For honest, sometimes we, we love to emphasize that first part, but we, we forget about the second part. We love God's grace that saved me, makes me feel good because I did these things and now I've been forgiven, but I don't want any of that growing stuff. Sometimes we emphasize the second part, where God, God, God loves you too much to leave you there. And, and, and when we do that, we think it's all up to us and I have to do these things in order for God to love me, but they go together. And so if you've never considered Jesus, Today, January 27th, is a great day to give your life to him. And just imagine, for all of us who take this seriously, imagine what it would look like if by God's grace, you grew as a husband, as a spouse, as a wife, as, as a parent, as a coworker. Maybe two years from now, that boss who doesn't love anything about religion, he actually makes fun of you a little bit. Maybe you'd grow to the point where, I mean, they don't know about this Jesus person, but they're sure glad that one of his followers worked for her. Or maybe you get to the point, maybe your spouse doesn't go to church and isn't really interested in this. Wouldn't it be incredible if you get to the point where your spouse, they still aren't fans of Jesus, not really sure about this Jesus character, but, but they're sure happy that they're married to somebody who follows him. Imagine how it can change not just us as individuals in our lives, but us as a collective group of followers of Jesus. If we were known as a place that took Jesus' grace so seriously that, that we didn't just receive it to be saved, but we received it be transformed into who God has created us to be. Let me pray for us. God, you know all the dark areas where I have yet to grow. 
And God, I confess that though I've been following you for, for almost two decades, that there are areas where I have yet to yield to you or, or I just want to pretend aren't there. And God, I pray that you would forgive me for that and that you would help me to yield to your grace. That by your grace, you would do a work in me, not because of what I do, but because of what you have done for me. And God, help us be the kind of people that is not content just to sit in rows that is not content just to receive information, not just content to raise our hands and say, yeah, I'm with Jesus, but that we would be the kind of people that desires to be changed by you, that even though it is painful, that you would perform surgery on us and in our lives. I thank God that you would show your grace, not just because of how you've saved us, but because of how you're growing us, that we would see you working in our life, and that we would be confident in who you are. But thank you for your grace. Thank you for these people. And I pray for them that you would transform us, that your grace would be apparent and obvious in our lives, not because of who we are and how good we are, but because of what you are doing in us. And we pray these things in your son's name. Let all the people say, amen.